And welcome back to Butter With That, a movie podcast where friends get together and talk about movies. Uh, and we are all from uh, Philadelphia, the area, and we talk about movies we love, movies we don't love, movies we're just interested in. And this uh, series of episodes, we've been talking about the theme of time travel. Uh, before we dive into our next pick for time travel, I want to check in with everyone, see how everyone's doing. We got Sam here, we got Connor here, we got Dave here, and uh, Tori's here with us in spirit. Um, and how, how's everyone doing? Okay. You know, more of the same. Uh, trying to find things to occupy my time and things to watch and things to fill up uh, the many, many days ahead. Uh, in particular, uh, I think I touched on this last time we spoke. Uh, Boardwalk Empire was one that I got started on and was maybe two seasons into. I've now finished it um, because I've just been watching like eight hours of television a day. And it was uh, it was good. It wasn't great. It was uh, interesting. It uh, delves with a lot of really cool history and has a lot of like real historical figures and how it interprets and inter intermeshes them within the story it creates. Um but uh, yeah, pretty up and down. Not not quite the follow up to the Sopranos that I needed, but uh, it got me out of the uh, the sort of stupor of picking what was next. So uh, yeah, check it out. Does it make you want to go to Atlantic City? It kind of does. Um, I it mean, torn uh, down the Trump Tower or the waterfront Trump Casino. So did you watch it live? I did. No, <laughs> that's awesome. I saw the the like aftermath photos. Mm-hmm. It was so good. Everybody was cheering. I was cheering at home. My roommates were like, what's going on? So, you know, it was a moment. Yeah, good for them. And good for everybody. <laughs> say Atlantic City is a pretty fun town. I don't know if I call it a great town, but a fun town. <laughs> I only went there one time and it was in like February and it was just very sad. But that was my own fault. <laughs> Yeah. Well, one time, Alyssa and I went to see these uh, YouTubers, Rhett and Link, who do the show Good Mythical Morning. Mm-hmm. And they put on a great live show, but it was uh, at the Caesars Casino in Atlantic City. And so to kill, like, we had, like, 45 minutes before the show, we went to the Rainforest Cafe. And this is maybe in, like, November. And we were, like, the only ones there. It took 10 minutes to get served at the bar. There's nobody in the restaurant. And we were like, we got nothing else to do. Let's just sit and wait at the Rainforest Cafe bar. And finally, some guy who I don't even think was in like uniform came up and just like served us drinks. And then the, the awesome. lightning and thunder effects went off, but nobody was in there except for us. It was a pretty magical night. All the electronics fly south Cafe. for the season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like kind of bizarre to see shows at casinos. I saw uh, last podcast uh, on the left at Caesars. And, uh, you know, something that happens is people will just buy tickets that are there and they'll show up and they have no idea what it's about. And then it gets into the show and they're like, oh, this is fucked up. And then they leave, (laughs) which is like probably annoying for them to see these people leaving in the middle of their set. So I don't know. Weird phenomenon. Odds are they probably can't see him with the stage lights. Well, I hope for their sake. Uh, I didn't. I wish we realized sooner when we moved to Philly how close Atlantic City is and how many shows and like podcasters and other folks perform there pre-COVID because we probably would have seen a lot more stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm feeling a lot like a, a shell of my former self. I think I say this a lot, but it's always true. Um, so this weekend I tried to... Um, fall on some of my old comforts, my old faves. So, you know, the mummy featured heavily, um, which it features all the time. What am I even saying? But I also watched um, Empire Strikes Back and my, <laughs> so basically what happened, my roommate was playing Animal Crossing and she was like, yeah, you can put whatever you want on. And so I, I put Empire Strikes Back and she was like, that's a weird choice. And I'm like, do you know me? And um, she was, she was like, not huffy about it, but like, kinda and um I saw her like start to pay attention and then start to like laugh at the movie I so much I forget how funny that movie actually is it's so good so it it put me in a better mood it's interesting too it's like maybe the darkest one (laughs) but it does have some humor (laughs) (laughs) and everybody looks their best in in this one I have not been watching too much. I did, though, finish um, a video game, Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity, which is the Breath of the Wild Zelda spinoff of the Dynasty Warriors games. It's the whole thing. 
really amazing Zelda game. Um, I mean, I'm just a sucker for like Zelda nostalgia. So when they're playing the Zelda theme and the Ocarina theme and, you know, I'm just like, you know, getting weepy and the story, cause it's a prequel to breath of the wild. And so I was like, I don't know how this like prequel game is going to be, but my friend, Christina, shout out to Christina bought it for me for my birthday in January. Um, and I've loved every minute I played with it. I'll probably do another playthrough in the next week or two. Um, so that had a surprisingly good story for a game that is mostly you just slash a million enemies with swords. I have no movies to report <laughs> except for the ones we're going to, we're going to talk about. Uh, but, um, Oh, Connor, I guess has something quick. Can I jump in with an email? Oh, Oh yes. Oh, wow. We, we have an email. Clue, we need a blues clues email song. So maybe next episode, we're going to have one together. <laughs> Um, this is from dear friend of the show, one of the many uh, wonderful fathers who listened to Butter with that, Bob Potenza. This is celebrating our 100th episode. My apologies, Bob. We have not met in person yet, but my sincerest apologies for not reading this out when you sent it. I'm a bad podcast host. <laughs> Hello, Butter team. Tori's dad here, rushing to the rescue after hearing Connor's urgent plea for an email. As a loyal listener, I've listened to every episode, even those without Tori. I'm thrilled that you've made it so far. Though at first I started listening to support my daughter and just to hear her voice, I have continued to listen simply because your podcast is so entertaining and educational. I'm a firm believer in learning from future generations, and every week you have enlightened me in some way about film and television. I haven't developed a crush on Chris Evans quite yet, but it's when things become normal again and I get to visit Tori and Philly more often, I would love to buy you all a drink to celebrate. Cheers to the next 100, Bob. Oh, that was so sweet. Yeah. That was, oh, that just warms the heart. Thank you so much for that beautiful email. Oh, I mean, wonderful. you know, yeah. how much more can Mr. Pretenza give us? I mean, brought Tori into the world, one of my favorite people ever, and then that beautiful email. Thank you. Oh, We'll take that, the drinks, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll take the drinks. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> uh, well, that's a, just a perfect uh, and warm um, segue into our, into our podcast. But before we dive into today's uh, movie, just want to give a big uh, shout out to um, the Movie John Podcast Network. We're so, so excited to be a part of this wonderful community. Um, and uh, be among some great other podcasts. Uh, we want to shout out like Best Friends Forever, Cinematic Crypt, Dep Impact, Yeah F1, Hate Watch, Great Watch. I like to movie movie and I saw it in a movie. So definitely check out those other podcasts. Uh, we're so, so excited to be a part of the Movie John Network. What a fam. Big fam, big fam. Yep. Um, so as we move on, we're gonna talk, we're gonna continue talking about some time travel movies. Um, it's been a really interesting uh topic to explore. What are plausible time travel scenarios? What are implausible time travel scenarios? Does it even matter? Do we even care? These are some of the most fundamental questions we should be asking ourselves when we think about time travel. And so for today's episode, we're going to be talking about the 2006 classic, The Lake House, directed by Alejandro Agresti, starring uh, the amazing duo Sandra Bullock and Keanu Reeves. Uh, for those devoted listeners, you might remember our episode on Speed, which was the first time we saw this dynamic duo on screen. And we'll be, yeah, just, just give kind of a brief synopsis of this rom dramedy elements of comedy. This, I feel like this movie defi defies genre, but before <laughs> we go into that. Defies something, I'll say that. Uh, just a brief synopsis. So it, if I learned this for the first time, it was actually based on a South Korean film called Il Mare from 2000. And it's about these two people, Kate, played by Sandra Bullock, and Alex, played by Keanu Reeves, who are essentially pen pal lovers connected by a time portal mail mailbox uh, that sits out front of the, a lake house that both of them had lived in, but two years apart. And the story begins when Kate, in the current day of 2006, 
packs up and moves from the lake house she had been renting and leaves a little letter in the mailbox to the next tenant who she thinks is going to be the next tenant. But we meet this character, Alex, um, uh, who is actually situated back in 2004, who finds Kate's letter in the mailbox when he arrives to renovate this house uh, that was designed by his father, played by the late Christopher Plummer. It was really interesting. We had um, had a moment of silence for his passing last episode. And so it was kind of interesting that he pops up in this movie, uh, had designed, so his father had designed and abandoned this house. Uh, so essentially Alex and Kate write back and forth, they fall in love, but they're separated by two years and they're separated by this fateful occurrence that might end up keeping them apart forever. And we're obviously going to spoil everything in this episode. It's, <laughs> Alex's death, he gets hit by a car. More on that later. Or a truck, I should be specific. And a bus. bus. No, bus, bus, bus. That it is was the 90s. Important. It was, we were all about it. Meet Joe. We're Black all about and, that buses. Yeah. And that bus will will definitely come up later in our conversation. Um, so that's the synopsis. It had a it was a budget of $40 million. It ended up making $115 million. So it was a, definitely a box office success. And so one of the things we definitely want to talk about was why, what made this movie or makes this movie so popular? Um, had everyone seen The Lake House before? Yeah, but a long time ago. So I only like vaguely remembered it. And everyone I spoke to about it was like, yeah, but a long time ago. <laughs> it was weird. I um, never heard of this movie until watching Schitt's Creek when Dan Levy name drops it in one line. And that's, it's just left there. So I... Had no idea what this movie was about. Oh my gosh, I did not know it pops up in Schitt's Creek. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd heard of this movie and I'd heard that it's got like a pretty uh, dynamic plot as far as exploring intersecting and uh, cross-influence timelines and stuff. So it sounded like, oh man, this is going to be pretty wild. Um, and I understood it to be a romantic comedy as well. But uh, yeah, the way that it all comes together is interesting. <laughs> but yeah, I had not seen it before. So first uh, first time through. Uh, yeah, kind of like you, Sam, it had been a long time since I had seen this movie. And it was, in fact, it's a movie I feel like was on TV a lot or, or semi-regularly. So I might have seen the movie a long time ago in its full like duration and then like have seen scenes and we'll just sort of sit for 20 minutes and watch that particular scene of the lake house and then move on to something else. So... I chose this movie because out of like curiosity, I wanted to know I, I like what revisiting this movie would be like. Um, just the thought of talking about a, a, a Sandra Keanu movie also was so appealing. So i um, very excited to talk with you all about this movie. Um, so I guess we could do, yeah, we could just, I've got some questions or some things that I wanted to focus on, but I'll throw it out to you guys, kind of first impressions or things that, okay, I'll say, what is uh, a thing that you walked away with after watching this movie or took away from watching this movie? <laughs> um, it's a fun watch with other people. My roommates and I, we, like throughout the whole movie, we had been making comments and at the very end, we blew up about something. I'll tell you guys about it later. But, um, well, I'll just say, um, one of my housemates was like, she should have let him die. So, you know, <laughs> strong opinions at my house. And we spent 30 minutes after the movie screaming at each other. We were screaming the same things. No one was disagreeing with each other, but we just couldn't believe what we had watched, that we were all just angry <laughs> about it. But um, that was also like very fun. And I know that I'm going to look fondly back at this movie because I had a, a really a great watching experience. Um, I'm going to, so to go along with something you said, Sam, yes, I also watched this movie while texting. So it's like uh, some friends and I got together. We all watched this movie together. We were just like texting back and forth. And so it's definitely a great group watch. What were some of the things you guys were shouting like in unison about? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so basically we tried to rewrite it and make it better. <laughs> and mm, yes. So we were doing that. And um, something that we could not get past was why aren't they just meeting sooner? Why aren't they meeting sooner? We could have done this a lot earlier. We could have figured this out. And um, my, my roommate who said she should have let him die. She was very concerned about Keanu's brother in the movie. Uh, I don't know why. I still don't like, know. Like, what do you... Wait, he's the worst character. Why was she concerned about him? He's, that actor also looks like he's on the verge of tears the whole time for no reason. I it's really he confusing. Does. He does. And he's, like, so familiar. And I looked at his IMDb, and I was like, I haven't really seen a lot of this guy's in, so... He, he, he reminded me of Sonny Carisi from the newer seasons of SVU. If maybe that's what you're thinking of, Sam. Oh, he does look like Carisi. Oh, my God, you are totally... Totally right. I don't know. I'm going to look. Totally right. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I had so many, I think for the, okay, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to throw it out to Connor and Dave. What were some big things that you, or uh, big things you took away or things you just couldn't get past? This movie is why I love doing butter with that because I would <laughs> never watch this movie on my own volition. And I'm so grateful that I watched this movie because there was a lot to enjoy and a lot to think about and a lot of questions uh, that I never would have had in my life if it wasn't for this podcast. And I also, this is a really good reminder to check my cynicism at the door sometimes when I watch a movie. Um, Cause the whole time I was watching it with Alyssa and we were like, wait, are they only two years apart in time? What a dumb constraint, like, idea for a time travel movie. Like, they're only, t- at the most, 24 months apart from each other. Clearly, there's some way they can work this out. Like, I, especially with her old, was she driving, like, an old Mustang? And he was driving an old truck. So, like, oh, maybe there's, like, 80s or, you know, 70s or 60s to the present day. No, it's just 24 months. That's an IMDb trivia thing, too, if you look it up. Uh, the truck he's driving is a 68, and the truck she's driving is like a 70 or something. And it's like, even their cars are two years apart, even though they're older. Um, and so I started this movie with a, a wall of cynicism and then was getting teary at the end um, of just like kind of being absorbed and questioning a lot of the choices. Like, And this, I'm sure we'll talk about this more in depth, but there are very few cuts I mean, there are a lot of cuts, but very few, like, in, in in scenes, cuts between, like, A shot and B shot of people's faces. Especially for the first half, there's a lot of, like, single takes or long takes, widescreen, like, panning up and down. There's very, you know, no hand cam a lot. and just So that added kind of, like, this weird alienation effect, but then it made me feel like the glass panes in the lake house watching over everything. And I don't know, there was some sort of connection there that was building in my brain. I don't know if that was intended, but um, that alienation, I think, added some effect to the artifice of the plot, which kind of tied into the theatrical tendencies that uh, this movie embraced. That was a, I, I really loved the way you're really like pulling in some thematic elements and understanding this movie. Something that you just said, Connor, reminded me from one of the lines of the movie, which um uh, the character Alex's criticism is his father, who's very cold towards him, and they have a very um, tense relationship. And he, Alex says of the glass house, you've built a house, but not a home. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like the structure of this movie, there's it's shot so oddly. It like can't decide whether it wants to be like this art, artful, like arc, like examination of architecture and like be kind of cold, but like beautiful to look at, but like all the shots aren't beautiful to look at, <laughs> or if it wants to be like a, uh, like just a pleasant, nice rom-com and like romantic kind of narrative. And so, but over the course, I think it, it becomes more of a home and cozy once Keanu and Sandra get together and not just this cold glass. So Connor, you've definitely... Mm, infuse some nice, uh, some nice thematic elements in there. How about you, Dave? What was uh, what was on your mind watching this movie? Well, one thing that just actually came up too um, in my mind as Connor is discussing it is uh, Keanu's criticism of the lake house itself when speaking to his brother about how um, 
it is built uh, surrounded by nature, but doesn't really necessarily interact with it. And it's about uh, possession instead of interaction. So like, yeah, I think this movie tosses up some really interesting concepts and themes and ideas in a movie that as you've kind of just covered uh, in terms of cinematography and tone, doesn't quite know where to rest its hat uh, and gets a little jarring. Um, I think the ideas uh, concerning the time travel timeline and their impacts are interesting. Um, I think the performances from from Bullock and from Reeves, uh, as well as pretty much everyone else in the movie are pretty flat. And frankly, I think that's not to, to any actor's discredit. I mean, it's, you know, it's good actors. It's Reeves and, uh, and um, Bullock, who we've seen in a different dynamic, work really well, albeit totally different. Um, but we've also seen them both do a good job elsewhere. Uh, Christopher Plummer's great. Um, so a, a strong cast, but I think, I feel like in between every take, the director was kind of like tenting his figures and saying to, to the actors, like, okay, we're going to try it again, but smaller. <laughs> so... So I think there's a lot of like pathos in the story, but I don't think it translates through the performances, which I found distracting. I'm so glad you brought up doing it smaller because Alyssa brought up this really great point of there feels like there's not a lot of tension in the movie until the last 15 minutes, which I think Mm -hmm. is like an interesting kind of like ramp up at the very end to kind of like hit this climactic emotional wallop, which I think having the movie be so kind of monotone and small and not bombastic i think at the end when like the bus is coming and he's standing there on the street i think for me that was like a a wave that hit me so i think looking back i kind of like that it was such slowly paced and kind of monotone because in the end just kind of hit me like a you know like a big wave it's so interesting to hear that because i was tense the whole time there was not one moment where I like felt relaxed. And I think it was because I was just like, I don't understand <laughs> the logistics of this fucking mailbox. Can they only <laughs> talk at the mailbox, but then we're following them. They're sitting on a park bench. Are they at the mailbox? I Where does the magic go? I, I don't know. And then also for being called the lake house, they spent very little time in the house. I don't think people would go see a movie called The Mailbox, so, like, I get it. But, like, <laughs> also, come on. I was tense about that stuff, too, the whole time. There is an SNL parody somewhere in some alternate reality in 2006 where they do a, a, sket, a, um, a sketch about The Mailbox perspective <laughs> in this movie. Oh, God. They should have. That is a missed opportunity. This This mailbox is an absolute wonder and mystery. And a couple things, Sam, you bring up a great point of like, why didn't more happen within that house? That house is asking for a romantic scene in every space. (laughs) A little of production notes. So the movie uh, production teams uh, were scouting locations for the perfect house and the perfect location. And they couldn't find, they looked at Illinois, Michigan, Wisconsin, all of these places, and they couldn't find the perfect house. So they ended up having to build it. And the process took seven weeks, like tons of steel beams and then all glass. The house itself had heating only so the actors could like actually do a scene in there since it was so cold. It had no toilets. It had some running water. And so it wouldn't have been like the most practical thing to film a ton of scenes in. Um, They also had to dredge under, they built the house on land and then they had to make the lake bigger. (laughs) This is how manufactured this movie is. They had to like dredge underneath the house and then have water fill in. That's why the water is so low and so sad. Like you can see that water line is like halfway up those beams. When you said 40 million. What was that, Connor? I was like 40 million for this movie. I was like, oh, now the house and dredging and the steel beams. Now that makes sense why 40 million in 2006. Um, but the house, I, I think the house looks great. It's like like greenhouse aesthetic. I'm like really into that, that tree growing up in the middle. Mm, yeah, I would I would sit in that house or something. Um, the whole time for me, I was just like, why are they living in the house from 13 ghosts? Yes, yes. <laughs> like, and this is a house, like a lake house on stilts. Like that's 90% glass. Who's cleaning these windows and how? <laughs> It just, okay, so now that we're saying, I feel like the beauty and wonder of this movie is how improbable and 
not thought out. Literally every single element to this movie is or is, is not. And that is a very unique meeting of many forces or many um, ill-considered decisions <laughs> or nobody knew what they were doing. <laughs> but I want to talk a little bit more about that mailbox, Sam. You bring up a really great point of were they sitting in front of that mailbox waiting for letters? So to clue people in who have not seen this movie. So they are corresponding two years apart by putting letters in this mailbox. And over the course of the movie, you're trying to figure out exactly the sequence and the timeline of what is happening when. But there gets to a point where I guess the narrative necessitates it, but they start to talk as if they are in the same room and like back and forth dialogue. And a big problem I had with this movie was that it would take years for them to pass letters back and forth in this mailbox that are one sentence. They, the dialogue is like text messages or like AIM messages where it's like, I wish you were here. Oh, I wish you were here too. Oh, this makes me think about this. And it's like, those are one sentences they would have to write, put in the mailbox, wait for the other person to receive and <laughs> then respond. So that mailbox had a lot of action and it was like, very, uh, they must've been sitting right in front of it, but the scenes suggest otherwise they're in these like beautiful cafeterias all around Chicago. Well, uh, the one thing that really bothers me about it is how conversational the correspondence becomes like to the point point that like letters are interrupting one another (laughs) in speech. It's, it's more than once. You're totally right, Dave. It's more than just them writing one sentence at a time. It would be like writing a letter and putting a hyphen halfway through the sentence yes. and expecting the other person to know exactly what you're going to say. I that that did not bother me at all cuz the movie is just so contrived in general. Like this is the dumbest premise for a movie almost ever of like a time travel movie. And so I think it just Oh well, we have we have one still coming that's going to I guess you're right. I've never I haven't I haven't seen your pick. Dave, I have not seen your pick ever. So I'm yeah. sure we'll get to that. Um, but I just... Yeah, you'll feel more patient after that, maybe. But go ahead. <laughs> I, I, It would have been so boring if it was like Keanu Reeves reads three paragraphs at once. And then Sandra Bullock reads three paragraphs at once. And then that, like, if that was the pace of Act 2, you know, Act 1 going into Act 2, it's like I can, I can forgive the, the, AM, the AIM style instant message for the sake of pace and, you know, flow of the movie. Uh, There are definitely some decisions they make too, in terms of like stylistic editing and handling of this premise where like, we'll see them like kind of uh, like fade in and out of being in the same room and occupying the same space, reading these letters and communicating kind of in real time, but obviously occupying different parts of a timeline. And like, I think that's kind of a cool stylistic choice as far as cinematically handling them both like experiencing different timelines in a shared conversation across those timelines because of this this like weird like wormhole situation. Yeah, as far as the actual correspondence go, and it, it's kind of like overly conversational style. I think it gets confusing. Can we just take a moment to think about what it what they're saying it actually looks like? So they are having a full on conversation. With the mailbox, right? Because, like, again, how far does the mailbox magic spread? I don't know. So let's presume that it's all happening at the mailbox, right? This woman is a doctor. She's just rolling up there, traveling however long she's got to travel every day, like, a couple times a week to just sit there for hours. I'd watch that movie. But, but like, that's what they're saying, it's one thing I thought was interesting too, that she is such an established kind of like career doctor and her supervisors, her boss's advice is like, listen, on your day off, get as far away from this as you can. And it's like, well, you're a doctor. It doesn't quite work that way. Uh, just an insert there. Her doctor is played by Shora Agdashlu, who is Christian Avasarala on The Expanse. And every time I see her in anything, I'm so excited because 
I, I mean, I agree. All of these performances are extremely flat and yes, probably got smaller after every take, but <laughs> I do, it was just so wonderful. I mean, just to see her in lots, she's in like House of Sand and Fog and like some yes. really, really cool movies. But um, uh, I like, I would get, I would have all my guidance told to me by her. Like she was just, in, for me, it was like a wonderful, like guiding presence and grounding presence in the movie. Uh, but yeah, her advice to like, <laughs> and you'd assume she's working in a hospital. She's probably going to experience and witness a lot of intense and traumatic experiences. So if her boss is like, you need to go as far away as possible every single time you go through this, the logistics and practicality of that just aren't going to work. But Sam, I would love to see that movie of her just getting stuck in traffic on like a Chicago highway, trying to get out to this lake house every time she knows she's about to get a letter, which at the end of the, okay. At the end of the movie plays a very important role because she has to stop Keanu from crossing that street, which will, which we'll get to, uh, in a moment. One thing I did want to touch on the idea where we were talking about the way it's shot and um, have it putting the characters in the same room while they're supposedly reading these like half a sentence letters back and forth. I think the movie wants Keanu and Sandra to be in the same space. It's like we're going to see this movie or re-watching this movie to see them together because they are a wonderful presence together and we want to relive all those Keanu-Sandra moments. And so it'd be hard if the movie just kept them separate the whole time. Um, so I, I liked I liked those scenes. Um, but some other style, I mean, we all acknowledged this before we are recording this episode, but one of the best scenes in the entire movie is Keanu's eating uh, dinner inside of his house. He's just received uh, a letter. He's reading out a letter from Sandra who's talking about making sure he bundles up because it gets real cold in the house. And suddenly the camera, which has been like, encompassing his full like kitchen setup and is kind of removed and we can see the across the lake through the through the night sky through these glass windows and it it's Keanu eating and all of a sudden there's this quick zoom right into his face as he sneezes and then it starts snowing in the background this fast zoom is only employed one time in this movie and it is it sticks out like a sore thumb in the best possible most like odd way and so my theory about this scene is that like all the other random elements that are jammed into this movie this is actually a glitch in the matrix <laughs> it's actually Keanu as a simulation of himself recognizing that in fact this is not real life this is all the matrix but that's my theory that's the uh, moment after he swallows the red pill and it zooms in on his face like it, it doesn't zoomed. in the Matrix. <laughs> the zoom is so jarring. And it's funny because all of us picked up on it. Like we were in the text being like, the zoom. That's I when I shouted what? at my TV. And it was just like, <laughs> yes. This is and I knew it was never like the first time I saw it. And it's the only time I've seen this movie. As soon as it does that zoom, I was like, this is not going to happen again in this movie. And this is great. <laughs> It's like, oh, it's just once, yeah, one chance you might miss it. Just like love, you know, it's like in this <laughs> movie, if they don't embrace it now, it might be gone. If you don't embrace the Zoom, it all might be lost. Um, <laughs> wow, we went in a lot of directions. Um, are there, <laughs> are there uh, particular scenes or questions that people want to bring up? Should we... Should we go into the time travel elements of this or are there burning questions that comments that people have? <laughs> I pray that Sandra did not destroy the space-time continuum by saving Keanu Reeves. And I also, I, I don't know if I liked this or didn't like this, but we both, Alyssa and I at the same time both called pretty much 15 minutes after he got hit by the bus. Oh, that's Keanu. Like, oh, that's mm. going to be him at the end of the movie. And part of me is like, God, I wish that was like in some way like a better twist. But I kind of like the, I feel like that adds to the dread 
of like, you know, an hour left into the movie. I know that this is Keanu and like, what are they going to do? And they tease it out perfectly with like, is he stepping into the street? Is he staying on the sidewalk? That's like, God, I hope she didn't destroy a space time continuum. And I don't know how I feel about the quote unquote twist of the movie because I felt pretty predictable. That's actually interesting because I did feel stupid when it came up and I was like, oh, (laughs) I love the ending. Um, Yeah. So by this point, if you haven't seen the movie, so early on, one of the earliest scenes in the movie, Sandra's character is sitting uh, in a park uh, outside of her building with her mother and witnesses uh, a guy get hit by a bus in the middle of the street she runs, she's, you know, a doctor. So she runs and tries to like help him out. He's dead. Um, And then slowly it unfolds that in fact, that is Keanu trying to meet. So in that timeline, we have understood that Keanu already knows that he wants to see Sandra and he's crossing the street two years later so they can finally embrace and he gets hit by this bus and the whole whole storyline builds up to her discover realizing that it's actually Keanu that she saw die, and she needs to write him a letter and warn him not to be there. But it takes her forever to put it together. What I couldn't stand is the fact that surely she would have remembered the face of a person she just saw get hit by a bus and save. And she, in the story as well. They, they meet another time, or I guess that is not really a meeting, that's her seeing him dead, but they meet for real when Sandra's boyfriend invites Keanu to a party and Keanu already knows that it's Sandra who he's fallen in love with uh, two years into the future or whatever. And, but she doesn't know it's him, but they have this connection in the garden and then they kiss and that is a pretty unique situation, which someone says they know you from the future and then, or no, I guess he didn't reveal himself, but like they definitely had a thing and then they had the kiss in the garden. And that's something I would assume you would remember for a long time and remember that face you kissed. And then for her to not put it together when she sees him in the street and he's dead, that I couldn't buy. And I was like, it took her way longer to figure out and put the pieces together maybe his face was fucked up from the bus hitting him. Okay, yeah, you're right, maybe. Oh, he's just gnarled. Ugh. He's just like glass and metal, just like through a skull. Yeah, okay, Connor, you've brought, you've provided me some compelling uh, <laughs> possibilities. And I wonder how much of it is the fact that this is interfering with time. Like clearly, and this is fun to talk about, like let's not talk about it too, like how does this time travel affect her memory? Because this is not a closed loop time because he plants the tree in front of her apartment building because she writes about, you know, missing seeing trees. And then he plants a tree. She like ties her shoe, looks up, and then the tree's there. And like we see the tree blink into existence. So it's not like the tree was always there. He altered the time stream to plant a tree. So maybe him altering things fucks up her ability to remember those things in the past because the current Sandra didn't actually live those memories, a past version did. It also sort of begs the question, like, how long would this take to stop being romantic and become terrifying? (laughs) Like, I would be so afraid after the first couple letters when suddenly trees are popping up out of nowhere because I'm like, I miss the forest. That is also what is something I really enjoyed about the movie is it's 10 minutes into the movie. The characters have figured out what's going on. Oh, it's time travel. It's this fucking magic mailbox. And then they start telling other people. And at first they're (laughs) kind of like, huh? But like when Sandra Bullock's character is talking to her mom, her mom is like, yeah, whatever. Sounds like you met a guy, but like, be careful. But it like, it like they they too kind of like just roll with this implausible setup. And that is what I love. Like I, I don't I didn't want any of the characters to like overthink what was actually going on because yes, Dave, I, I completely agree. It is a terrifying situation. <laughs> um, and like even Alex's brother is like, oh yeah, that that person you met in time. But no one's like, how <laughs> how is this possible? How like how could this be occurring? And so as a viewer, I was like, I must inhabit that mindset as well. You got to give this movie a pass and just let it happen. Yeah. And if it's going to work at all. 
but you know what? Like you, y- y'all said this before of like anything that this movie could do and had a choice to just refuse to do it. <laughs> like I was already stressed. Everything's happening. I'm really focused on how they're doing all of this. And then at the very end, um, Keanu packs up the lake house and he's like, well, I, I know who I have to give the keys to because I know how this shakes out. And he just drops the keys off to Sandra's boyfriend and then says nothing. So then they created another stressful moment for me. And I'm like, how is she paying rent? Did they live there together? Did she just, what happened? Also, has anybody who's ever, who was involved in writing this movie ever bought a house? Because it's just, the transferring of property yeah. is just crazy. <laughs> also, the transferring of dogs. Can we talk about that magic dog? For it's a, a magic dog. So in the movie, <laughs> supposedly this dog is Alex's, and then the dog runs away, and then the dog is then uh, Kate's. But then the dog disappears, like, in the last 20 minutes of the movie. And you're like, did this dog die? Has this dog, like... Or is it is it sort of the um, omniscient god character that is like aside from the mailbox, the dog is setting everything in motion? I was very confused by when who's where the dog came from and what. But but that they roll with it. The dog is playing chess with Kate, and she doesn't think twice about it. She's just going with the fact that she has a highly intelligent Christine magical dog. Talking. So. Like you're you're so right about this dog. You were talking and I was losing my mind because I immediately went to It's a Wonderful Life. And you know how every time you hear a bell ring, an angel gets its wings. Every time you see you save someone from an untimely death, a magic dog goes to heaven. Or every time you see a dog, it's a time traveler. <laughs> oh, yes. From every dimension. You know what is the movie we need to see is the mailbox and the dog, an adventure road movie. And like all of the things those characters can accomplish together. That's like buddy cop. And oh, they could animate that mailbox with a little red. The, the mailbox also becomes its own beautiful character. Like it pops its little uh, red flag up. And Sandra's just eagerly waiting for that letter. Yeah, they really animate the do- uh, animate the mailbox wonderfully as well. They did a good job with that. Yeah, but yeah, this this movie is definitely confounding. Yeah, uh, go ahead. <laughs> One question I had is, what is this poor mailman thinking? There are just loose pieces of paper thrown into this mailbox. That's you know that's one thing that I was thinking of. Like, what is the, how does the mailman of this zip code? feel about these loose pieces of paper just being thrown in his mailbox and the flag going up and down what if he saw it go up or down because sandra bullock was there in 2006 and he was there it's illegal to open another person's mail so he'll never know (laughs) oh they'll never know (laughs) fighting mailbox mailman yeah just minding his own business or just rolling with it like every other character in the movie i'm sure the mailman was like wow this is such a beautiful relationship i'm seeing unfold i'm just (laughs) like what if the mailman got there before keanu could read the letter that would save his life well they're not addressed Uh they can't go anywhere oh wow well i feel like we have covered a lot in this discussion there were a couple other notes that i just wanted to bring up on sort of more of a sort of critical level like I thought this movie, you know, was just, I, I, I liked the characters and things like that. I thought one problem was uh, the character of Mona, which was the first, uh, I guess, girlfriend or like they kind of had a thing. Yeah. I guess they were, they were going out with Alex. Um, I, I, I see it a lot in rom-coms, this tactic of creating this sort of foil to the, the main female character, this sort of like, undesirable woman she's depicted as being needy and it's just uh, like or too feminine and it's it's a re- really reinforces these sort of yeah problematic stereotypes or depictions of women is and I see like and you've got male Parker Posey plays this sort of like um like nagging one it, yeah it's just it, it's a it's a sort of stereotype that I see played up to sort of reinforce why the the main character is is so much better uh, than 
it's like, why can't we just have realistic depictions of relationships? They don't work out. You know, it's just like, well, I mean, no, there are problematic relationships and that can be told as well. That was just something that I saw uh, pop up in this movie that is a problem I see in other in rom-coms. It's it's a broader rom-com issue and also reminds me of like a lot of like Hallmark films and things like that, where, where clearly we have these two characters that are just meeting, but are already in relationships. And therefore both of their partners need to become annoying or ill-fitted to them so that ultimately our two disparate characters can fall in love and meet. Um, and it, it's, it's something that like, you know, it does it kind of obviously in a more, more pronounced with um, what's her name, Mona in this movie than it does with uh, uh, what's his name, Morgan. Um, Sandra's partner um, and like there's definitely like uh, who is this poor actor Dylan Walsh like I, I see this th- this poor guy probably walked for the past 16 years walked into casting auditions and saw Jason Bateman and was like fuck um, but yeah they definitely look a lot alike <laughs> but also just like it, it has the other like hallmark movie trademarks where like uh, for some reason Sandra Bullock's character for the for this example is like extremely conversational and like personal and personable with their boss, like their lead boss outside of work. And like, it's just one of those things that comes up uh, a lot of times or like, they're like really, really like of these constant hearts to hearts with their parents. And it's just like sort of material that deflates a lot of rom-coms for me because they largely all do it. Yeah, there's some formulas I love, like this fit the formula of having them, the the thing we wanted to see them together and like get together at the end. And then their formulas and things that I wish rom-coms would, would shed. And there are, there are tons of other ones that are coming and being made and have come out that defy formula and find fresh ways of, of um, depicting relationships and the way people need and, you know, ultimate ends or you know unions and things like that but um yeah this is just that the character mona is just something i've been kind of seeing seeing pop up um i i kind of totally yeah go ahead i kind of totally forgot about this character until we were talking about her unfortunately because she gets so little screen time and so little to do but what if she found the letters with keanu and like she put letters into the mailbox. I don't know if that's like too contrived and would complicate the movie too much, but like, like what if that was, I, I would just be, and this is just off the top of my head, but what if there was a third entity putting letters in the mailbox to try to destroy whatever Keanu and Sandra Bullock had? It's like, I got this one from two years from now and it's just a cipher. What's going on? <laughs> Connor, I think you've started to write a good movie. Sam, you were saying that you and your housemates were starting to write a better movie. I think... A better movie of this movie is in the works um, <laughs> right here, right now. As far as other relationships, I wasn't buying the scenes with Alex and his father. It was so wonderful to see Christopher Plummer in this movie, and um, he is such a wonderful presence, but it was their relationship was so forced. The scenes weren't given enough time to breathe where you could really understand, like, sort of... Alex's hard relationship with his father and who's distant and cold and uh and the dialogue was was so bad there's just this scene right like you're supposed to understand that his father is this like renowned architect and like him explaining architecture was just so forced and just like I was like thinking the writers just read a Wikipedia page about like architecture terms and how to turn it into a thematic element and just it fell flat but it was nice to see um Christopher Plummer in this movie nonetheless and there's also a whole drop thread about like Keanu explains to uh Sandra's character is like yeah my father was so consumed with his work that it cost him his marriage and he, he kind of like is my, my mother like walked off the scene and like he dismissed her entirely and everything. And then at the end of Christopher Plummer's life in this movie, like there, that conversation never comes up. Instead, it's just still like your architecture is kind of inferior and cold. And it's like, what the fuck kind of bedside manner is this? A lot of unanswered questions. And maybe they filmed some more scenes and we're like, all right, let's understand what this movie really is. Let's keep it to an hour 40. Nobody needs to get hurt. This is fine. There was also, uh, oh, sorry, one little 
one other little bit of dialogue, one of Keanu's letters, which is introducing himself. I, I'm an architect. I like to build. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, but just dialogue across the board. Um, not great. I did love the opening. The last thing I'll say is that opening scene with the letters that we see this beautiful script uh, as the credits are coming in this, and, and this song, I'd never heard this song before. And I was like, oh, this is getting me exactly into the vibe of the movie that I want. The clientele, I can't seem to make you mine. I don't know. I was really digging this song. And I was like, this is, I just want this whole movie to roll with this song. And this is a beautiful way to start a movie. It's a good call. Yeah. And there's, there's a really great Nick Drake song in there too. Um, yeah, the Nick Drake. And was you're it like, okay. There's some just, there's some just wonderful little moments. And this is just this little oddity that popped up in 2006. I wrote in my notes too, another sort of time traveling movie came out in 2006 and that was Darren Aronofsky's The Fountain, which also featured a tree that really was important and was supposed to be symbolic. I hate that movie so much. <laughs> so I was like, no this is a perfect antidote to the fountain and everything that it is. <laughs> the way you wrote in your notes was that it was a maudlin chore. And I, I wanted to scream at my phone, thank you, finally someone said. <laughs> I was just like, oh, these two movies came out in the same year and feel, uh, yeah. I was just like, I'm glad Darren Aronofsky didn't get his hands on this because he would try to make it really good and it would not have been. But um, I would rather watch this than that anytime at this point. <laughs> well, folks, that was the lake house. Um, see it or don't see it. You know, it's kind of like whatever. Right. But kind of fun to talk about. So um, maybe. Yeah, I, I, I'm excited to continue talking about elements of time travel and maybe I'll write some random letters and stick them in some random mailboxes and see who I meet. You know, it's like, <laughs> do not do that. Maybe I won't do that. Do that. <laughs> the looks on all of your faces were like, no, 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 not a good idea. <laughs> if, if this movie took place in 2020 slash early 2021, I would shred that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're right. You're right. Bad idea. I was just brainstorming. No bad idea in a brainstorm. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, we'll just leave you with that. And we'll leave you to wonder whatever happened to that dog. And I hope he's Jack. Oh, wait, did we say the dog is named after Jack in speed? Sandra Bullock said she could, she had to just call that dog by Jack. And so that's also a wonderful little speed connection. So precious. And also a wonderful way to close this discussion. Oh, may that dog live forever. And if you like this movie, and tell us how you felt about it two years from now <laughs> in a letter. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. Dave, that's such a great idea. Can you write us? Oh, no, no, I got it. Okay, guys, if you're listening, write an email and put it, you know, like Gmail has a function where you can say send on this date. <gasps> write that email, say sent for February, whatever, 24th, 2023. And it'll be sent, and then we'll see what happens. <laughs> be sure to check out our speed episode, as well as yes. following us on socials, which you can find uh, throughout the internet, as well as uh, Butter With That Pod Cast. Better with that podcast at gmail.com. Because uh, <laughs> we've been loving reading these emails, and we look forward to more of them. And be sure to follow Movie John on all the platforms. We're so thrilled to be part of that network and to. Be sure to take a listen to all those other podcasts as well. Uh, have a wonderful day. <laughs> when At any time of day you're listening to this, evening, morning, midday, have a wonderful rest of your day. And we'll see you all next week. It's been real. Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>